Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 to 13 this morning. As you're uh, turning there and finding your place in the Scripture, I just want to mention, uh, we don't say this very often, uh, maybe because we want you to come here on Sunday morning, but uh, if you ever can't be here, we do have all of the messages online. And uh, you can go to www.lakesfree.org and you can listen online to the messages uh, that we have on Sunday morning. And also the notes are there that I use for the PowerPoint, and I appreciate those who take those and put them. Uh, we uh, have quite a number of hits each week on that, which is real interesting to see how God is using that. It's one of those kind of marvels of technology and how many people do listen in or are picking up on that uh, that we don't even know. They may be people that go to our church, and there may be other people that are not able to go to church. Sometimes missionaries tune in and want to hear what's happening as well. So uh, we appreciate that, and that's just another option for you to consider. I'd like to have you take a look at this passage of Scripture this morning now, and I'd like to read it for us, beginning at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you have given us your word to show us how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. And you've given us very practical instructions that apply not just to a few, but to all of us who seek to be servants of the King of Kings. Would you guide us and speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of leadership? Do you think of power or influence or status? Some people may think of times when they've seen leadership be abused and misused. But only a few, perhaps, think of service. And yet, this is the primary definition of leadership in the Bible. That a leader is to be a servant. And we see that modeled in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And the word there for servant is diakonos, the word from which we get our English word deacon. He went on to say, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, in a sense, to be a deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus recognized that the way it is in the world is often that leaders take advantage of their power. There were those who were tyrants in his day and who oppressed their people and taxed them heavily and sought that reward for themselves. And Jesus said, I know that that's out there. But that's not how it's to be in the church. Whoever wants to be great among God's people must learn to be the servant of all. 
Because even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A deacon is a servant or minister. In that day, it was common to refer to a deacon as one who waited on tables. Well, last week we talked about the role of elders in the church, and this week we're going to talk about the role of deacons. And as Dan mentioned at the beginning, I don't want you checking out on this, you know, thinking this is for somebody else, because there is an aspect of this that is for all of us. And we'll see that as we go through this text. Uh, Last week I had someone come up kind of humorously and say to me, I just love it when you're preaching to somebody else. (laughs) You know, that was for the elders. I guess I don't need to listen to that and I can kind of sit back comfortably. And I know that they were kidding. uh, But I don't want you to do that this morning because there's a word here for all of us. You see, there is an office of deacons in the church or a position of deacons. But there are many more that serve in that capacity without the title. I ran out of time last week, but I wanted to mention when we were talking about elders that we do have those that serve as elders currently in our church and hold that office, if you will. But there are other men in our congregation who have served as elders and who do have that maturity and standing as an elder. They meet all of the qualifications and they are to be respected and honored. And I thank you and I'm glad that we have many different individuals who can fill those kinds of roles. And we're going to see that today too when it comes to talking about deacons. There are some who currently are in that position, but there are many others who serve in that capacity without the title of deacon or deaconess. Well, where did this all begin? Who were the first deacons? Would you um, keep your finger here in 1 Timothy and turn back to Acts chapter 6? Because most believe that Acts chapter 6 records the beginning of this office of deacons. And here's what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. See, there was a problem that came up. And the church had these different ethnic groups meeting together and some began to say, hey, something's going on here. We feel like our widows, the Greek-speaking widows, were not being taken care of like the Hebrew-speaking widows were. So uh, they came, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, "Uh, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables to deacon." Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When you look at this, here is a problem that came up in the church and how did they solve it? Well, those who had a complaint brought it to the apostles, which would be like bringing it to the elders in our congregation. And that's the proper way to deal with things. When there's a concern that you might have, you take that to those who are leaders in the church and you talk to them about that. 
And the apostles here, in this case, said back to them, well, here's what we believe we should do. We want you to choose those who you think would be good representatives to work in this area as deacons. And they proposed seven men. One of the things you'll notice about the seven men that were chosen is that they all had Greek names. They went out of their way to address this situation by having those who would represent their point of view, if you will, in this situation. The apostles approved those men, and they placed their hands on them, and they commissioned them to this work. They were men full of the Holy Spirit, men of wisdom, who had the ability to discern what they needed to do and would be faithful in carrying out that responsibility. Why didn't the apostles do it themselves? Well, they shared that it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word and prayer. There was a specific responsibility that God had given to them to carry out in the church, and so they were to look for other godly individuals who could help with this particular task that needed to be done. That's how the church works. Sometimes I have heard it said, you know, and I've I've talked to people in other congregations, you know, and they go, I just love it when my pastor comes to the work days, you know, and he's out there working. And over the years, I've been a part of work days here too. But you know, it wouldn't be right for a pastor to do that all the time. Because if those of us who are on staff here as pastors are the one who are shoveling all the walks, you know, and, uh, you know, taking care of the facility and vacuuming the floors and cleaning the windows and doing all of those kinds of things, we'd be neglecting the things that God has called us to do. In the church, there is this kind of emphasis on different responsibilities that need to be done, each one using the gifts that they have been given to carry out God's work in total. What the scripture tells us is that elders are to give spiritual leadership and oversight. It doesn't mean that they can't or shouldn't use their hands to join in the work in other areas. But their primary duty is to give spiritual leadership. Deacons are those who care for material and physical needs in the church. And that's why you can see as you think about it that it's not just the office of deacon but it is all of us who are called to serve in ministry in some particular area of the church. We are servants. And each one is to use their gift for the good of the whole body. So what is it that qualifies someone to be a deacon? Well, Paul spells that out very clearly here, just like he did with elders. The things we look at are their character, for example. In 1 Timothy 3.8, They are to be worthy of respect. That means they are to be men of integrity, men who will be a role model or example to others. They are to be sincere, not double-tongued. John Bunyan, in his book Pilgrim's Progress, talks about a pastor whom he called Parson Two-Tongue. You know, that's a very vivid picture of someone who says one thing to one person and something else to another person. And Paul says, you don't want people like that in leadership. You want people that are straightforward and honest in what they say. They are not to indulge in much wine. They are to be temperate, be self-controlled. Not pursuing dishonest gain. They are to be trustworthy. In Acts chapter 6, they were carrying out and being responsible for the benevolences of the church. They were handling finances. And you want people to do that, to be men of integrity that are going to be accountable for the way that they handle the resources of the church. 
And today that involves the care of finances in our church as well, that we would do that with integrity and accountability in the way that we handle what God has entrusted to us. You look at spiritual maturity in verses 9 and 10. It says that in the area of doctrine, they are to hold to the deep truths of the faith. They must keep hold of the faith. They don't need to be able to teach. That's one of the differences from elders. But they do need to know what they believe. They need to be people that understand the gospel and can share that with others. They need to be people who know what they believe. And then what you look for is are they living that out in their life? Because it says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They live what they believe. And here again in this passage you see the joining together of doctrine and life. Doctrine and life must always go together. That's one of the big emphasis in 1 Timothy. That we need to be solid in terms of our understanding of the Scripture, but then we need to put that into practice in our life. Because life calls for discernment and application and living things out. Jesus said that we're not just to be people that kind of listen to Him and then walk away from what He says, but we are to be people that put into practice His Word and build our house upon a firm foundation. This past week, someone in an email sent me a note, uh, an article they had seen online at CNN.com, uh, and it was an article about a guy in Florida who's a pastor who has come to believe that he is Jesus Christ. Now that happens from time to time. You know, you, you hear stories like that of somebody who thinks they're the Messiah, somebody who thinks they're Jesus Christ. I read the article, and what always amazes me about that is they said that there were thousands who follow him. Uh, this particular individual is Hispanic, but he's kind of like, in some ways, like a David Koresh or a Jim Jones or others. You know, he's got the Rolexes, and he's driving uh, the fancy cars, and, and he's been given these things, he says, as gifts by people in his congregation who've come to believe in him. And He tells himself, like, you know, they don't need to worry about sin because they can't sin. And uh, it's very much a health and wealth, prosperity gospel that he is preaching. And don't you wonder when you hear stories like that, how do people fall for that? I mean, why do people believe and follow someone like that? Is it just because uh, they, they have been told this promise of wealth? or prosperity if they go along with it, or they don't have to worry about their sin, they can do what they please, and somehow they're still in or right with God. It's sad. Here's a man who is self-deceived and who is deceiving others. It is because of things like that in our world that we need to be people who know the truth, what the Scripture says, and who put that into practice in our life. That's why Paul also says that these individuals who serve as deacons must also be tested. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In other words, in the church, we are to have positions of responsibility that are lesser and greater. There are those kind of entry-level positions that people can serve in, and they help, and they may be learning from someone else, and they get involved in ministry. 
And as they show their diligence, their faithfulness, that they are trustworthy, that they understand what God has said, they are given greater responsibility. That's the way it works in God's kingdom. And so, in time, these who serve as deacons may also become elders in the church and involved in leadership in other areas. Part of that depends upon gifting. It's not that one is better than the other, but it is greater responsibility and authority that is given to those who have served well. Then the third area you look at, again, is faithfulness and leadership in the home. I'm going to skip verse 11 for a moment and look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says that a deacon must be the husband of but one wife. That's the same qualification as for an elder. He is to be a one-woman man, someone who is faithful in his marriage. And then he goes on to say that he must also manage his children and his household well. Again, the same kind of qualification that was there for an elder. Because you can learn a lot about an individual in the way that they manage their family by their lifestyle and what their children uh, say about them or how they behave themselves. And so Paul um, urges those who are looking for leadership in the church to look at a person's marriage and family, that they might be someone who is living out their faith, first of all, in the home and then in the church. Well, let's go back to verse 11. And what is Paul talking about here? Is Paul talking about the wives of deacons or women who were deacons? In the NIV, the way they translate it, they believe uh, that it is the wives of deacons that are being focused upon here, but there are many who believe that what this verse is really talking about are deaconesses. And let me give you the argument why I believe that he is talking about deaconesses in this passage. First of all, verse 11 begins with the words, in the same way, uh, just like verse 8 began, in the same way or likewise deacons are to be men men worthy of respect. It seems to be introducing a new class just like verse 8 does for deacons. And secondly, the word in Greek, gyne, and some of you will recognize that from our English word, a gynecologist, for example, the word gyne in Greek can be translated as either wives or as women. The word there, that possessive pronoun, is not in the Greek. Uh, That could be italicized, for example, in your translation. It really just reads, likewise, the women. Okay, which women is he talking about? Well, if it is the wives of deacons who are addressed, why is nothing said about the wives of elders who at least would hold a similar kind of responsibility? And then fourthly, there's no word for deaconess in Greek. But there were deacons who were women. An example of that may be Phoebe, who is called a deacon in Romans 16.1. She is a deacon or a servant in the church in Centuria. And then very early in church history, we have women serving as deacons, but not as elders. And that's interesting. The early church understood and began to form deacons that involve both men and women. We just use the word deaconess because we feminize that, and so we have deacons and deaconesses. But what you see in the early church was you just had this office of deacon and involved both men and women who served in that position. 
but they did not serve as elders. That was a position reserved for men. So what qualifies a woman to be a deaconess? Well, if you look at verse 11, it's very similar to what was said about the men. Their wives are to be uh, women worthy of respect. That is the same. They are to be godly examples to other women in the church. Uh, Secondly, they are not to be malicious talkers. Regarding the men, it said that they were... uh, Excuse me, they were uh, not to be double-tongued. And here it's saying they're not to be slanderers or gossips in their speech, but they are to be self-controlled in that area. They are to be temperate, just like it said of the men. They are to be uh, self-controlled in other areas of their life as well, and then trustworthy in everything. A very similar list to what it says about the men. So what we see in this passage is that there are ways in which both men and women can serve in this office. And there are many different ways to serve in the church. Some, in our church, for example, will have the title of deacons and deaconesses. In our church, they work with our ABFs and our caregiving ministry. And they're the individuals in those ABFs that meet on Sunday morning who kind of keep track of what's going on in people's lives when there are needs that we are aware of. Uh, They'll put uh, messages on the prayer chain if people want to have something prayed for. Uh, They'll coordinate meals, like if someone's uh, been in the hospital and coming home or they've had a baby and are coming home. There are many different ways in which those deacons and deaconesses care for people who are part of our church, and we want you to know that. They work with our caregivers and our Stephen ministers on a broader basis to come alongside people who have those kind of physical and material needs. And they are a very valuable ministry in our church. But at the same time, there are others in our church who do the work of a deacon or deaconess in their area of ministry as well. And this is the broader definition that I want you to see. They carry out the function of a deacon or deaconess even though they don't have that title. For example, we have volunteers who work in our nursery and preschool every Sunday so that we can worship here and you can worship here without distraction. And some of you work in our nursery. That's a role of a deacon or deaconess to provide that service to others in our church. There are those who work in our office and our support staff. You know, when we come on Sunday morning, you know, and we uh, walk in and we pick up a bulletin, that doesn't just sort of magically appear. Somebody has to put this together each week. And someone has to put the announcements on the screen that we see. There are those who work in our finance ministry. And they handle the church funds with integrity and accountability. You know, when the ushers collect the offering on Sunday morning, they just don't bring it to the back and hand it to the staff and say, well, here you go, you know, and you guys do whatever you want with it. No, it's all accounted for very carefully because that's a responsibility that God has given to those who, in a sense, serve as deacons on our finance ministry team. We have a building and grounds team. Jim and Peggy Malco and their family and uh, Kurt Flanagan and Kevin Lovedahl and others who work in that area just do a wonderful job each week to keep our facility neat and clean. Somebody had to come this morning to move snow and shovel the snow off of the sidewalks and do that. And they got here early so that we could walk in without having to plow through all of that ourselves. 
And each week there are those kind of responsibilities that are done. I know I talked to Jim, and Jim's heart is that you know he wants Sunday morning to be the best it can be for you. He wants the temperature in the room to be right, the sound to be right, the place to be clean, so that when we come, we can simply focus on worshiping God and enjoying our time of fellowship and our worship service together. You could say the same thing about those who prepare the communion every month. Do you ever think about that? Somebody comes every month and prepares that communion and cleans up those trays afterwards. And they do it so that you and I can observe the Lord's Supper. There are ushers and greeters who help people to find their seat or who greet you at the door or hand you a bulletin. There are caregivers and Stephen ministers who come alongside of others. And even though they do not have the title of a deacon or deaconess, they function in that role. And there are many, many others in the church who carry out those kind of servant roles. And I hope you're not offended if I haven't named you this morning because there's just so many and I wanted to give some of these as examples. I do want to say this, though, that the church would not function without you. That your roles are each important and a blessing to all of us. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that and stop and recognize the work that others are doing so that we can be here and worship God. In the days following 9-1-1, Peggy Noonan, who was a former speechwriter for one of the presidents, went down to Lower Manhattan along with some friends to see what was going on there in the cleanup from the terrorist attack on the World Trade Towers. They happened to get down there at a time when there was a convoy of trucks bringing construction workers and emergency personnel and policemen and firefighters and uh, electricians and contractors and everybody who had been down there volunteering to help with the cleanup. And it was just truck after truck after truck that was coming off the line as they ended their 12-hour shift. And these men and women, they were tired. They were sweaty. They were dirty. Uh, They were coming off a long shift. And when they came down those streets in Manhattan. Lining the streets were all of these people who had come out of their offices and their jobs. And they were cheering these guys on. And as they went by, they'd wave at them and they'd say, we love you, or God bless you, or thank you for what you're doing. And they applauded them. And these guys looked back so very, very grateful for what the others were saying. And Peggy Noonan said, you know, on this day, they were the heroes. They were the celebrities in a drama more important than anything you'd see in any play on Broadway. This was real life, and they were heroes. And she said, I looked around at those who were doing the cheering, and, you know, I saw investment bankers in their three-piece suits that were standing there. I saw orthodontists and medical personnel who had come out of their offices. I saw fashion magazine editors in their fine clothing. In my group, there was a lawyer, calmness, and a writer. We had been the kings and queens of the city. Respected professionals in a city that respects its professional class. But on this night, we were nobody. We were so useless, all we could do was applaud the somebodies. The workers who, unlike us, had not been applauded much in their lives. 
She said, I was so moved, oddly, I guess, grateful. Because, you know, they'd always been the people who ran the place, who kept it going. They'd just never been given their due. And I think of that. I think of that in the kingdom, in terms of what Jesus has said. That whoever wants to be great in God's servant must learn to be a servant. Whoever wants to be great in his kingdom must be the servant of all. That's the way it works. And those are the people that God applauds when ordinary people are using their gifts to serve him and going about their tasks. Well, this morning I want to introduce to you, as I did last week, those who are deacons and deaconesses in our church. And I want to pray for them as we uh, close the message this morning and pray for all of you that are in those roles. Who are our deacons and deaconesses? Well, uh, would you come to the front as I read your name? Harry and Esther Hasselius, uh, Jody Ifey, Will Hain, Becky Tolberg, Christine Erickson, Bill Shilgan, and Greg and Cherry Trunk. And these are individuals who, you can come on up here, who uh, serve in this capacity in our ABFs. And we are very grateful for what they do each week. But as I said, there are many others involved as caregivers in our church and Stephen ministers. And maybe it would be good if you just stood right where you are. Those who are caregivers or Stephen ministers, if you're here this morning and you help in that ministry, would you also stand right where you are? We've got to few that are sprinkled and gathered throughout the congregation. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you for each of these individuals who are standing here this morning. Thank you for their gifts and their heart to come alongside of people who are hurting or dealing with challenges in their life and they want to be there to pray with them, lift them up, encourage them. What a blessing and joy that is. And Father, I pray that you would bless them in their work and multiply their ministry. Use it to build your church and to continue the work that you have begun. And Father, I thank you for all in our church who serve in those kind of helping roles behind the scenes that maybe we don't stop to think about, but they're the ones who run the place. They're the ones who are the hands and feet of our Lord to minister to others in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you have designed the body. We really do need one another. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.